We're starting a new series in the book of Acts. What an important book for the church. It's an important book for the church because we see the church being established. We see the church that's growing, that grows from Jerusalem. It grows into Samaria and it goes to the ends of the earth. And today we are still seeking to plant churches to see the gospel reach every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's important because we see the expansion of the church, but we, we also see how we are to relate to God. We see uh, how people who were Jewish, who all they knew was kind of the Jewish way of relating, the way of the Old Testament, how they came to worship God after Jesus had died, after he became the sacrifice, and after he ascended to heaven. How do they worship God? Jesus talked about it early in the Gospels in, when he says that it's like new wineskins, right? You don't put new wine in old, old, old wineskins, right? You put it in new wineskins. And he's talking about this here. How do we worship Jesus in a new way after he's already resurrected? That's for the Jews. For the Gentiles, how do they Worship Jesus, given that they had worshipped other idols. They had pagan idolatry. They knew their culture. How do they come into a relationship with Jesus, and how do they worship? What does that look like? It's an important book for us to look at, to spend some time and just see how the church grows, how it flourishes. So why are we studying this book? All right, for us, why are we studying it right now? I believe it's, it's an important book for us as we have been establishing who we are as a church, our mission, right, to make the name of Jesus known. We want to proclaim Jesus everywhere, right? Our, our vision is to seek God's kingdom, right, to see his kingdom be established here on earth as it is in heaven, to see his will be done, to love those people that God has put in our life, right, to, to bring the gospel to the lost, to love the vulnerable, to make a kingdom impact, to be people who are, who are guided by empathy and compassion and love and forgiveness, who walk in faith. So that's what we desire to be as a church, and that's what we see in this book of Acts. We see a, a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. They are walking with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is leading them and guiding them. We see a church that is growing. It's messy. We'll get into some of that. We'll see some of the mess that happens in the church. But it's alive. It's caring for people. It's loving each other. It's being led by the Spirit to take the gospel to the world. So there's much that we as a church can learn from this book. So for the next few weeks, we'll be looking at this book. We'll take a break in the summer. We'll come back to it in fall. And we'll finish it up in 2025. So don't worry. We'll kind of intersperse it uh, throughout the, the next year or two. But we want to take our time to really see what does a spirit-empowered church looks like. And how do we follow the, the mission that God has given the church and the one that he has put on our heart. But today, we'll take just a, this morning to do an introduction, to kind of give a picture of this book, of this great book that Luke wrote us. So that's what our, our mission will be today, right? Who is Luke, and who, who did he write this book to? Just a couple things about him. First off, Luke is not one of the 12 disciples. Sometimes we think he is. He plays a prominent role. He wrote a gospel, the gospel of Luke, and he wrote this. 
Uh, fun fact, that you, did you know that he wrote most of the New Testament? Right? Paul wrote most of the books, but Luke wrote most of the words. So he has a, a strong impact in the gospel story, but he is not a disciple. We actually don't even know when he really entered the picture, when he came to Christ. Was he there at Pentecost? Was he part of the church at Antioch? We do know he, he worked with Paul. He worked with him on his missionary journeys. He helped plant churches. And he was there with Paul when he was spent his time in Rome, probably his last days. Paul calls him his beloved physician. So not only did he care for the church, he cared for Paul and his body as well. He was a doctor and he lit, used his skills to care for the body and the soul. But when he writes the book of Luke, he is writing uh, to give an account of Jesus' life. He says, I've carefully investigated the events of Jesus and I'm writing an orderly sequence so that you may know the certainty of the things that Jesus did. So he's investigating. He's He's pulling it all together, and he's talking about Jesus, the life of Jesus. And in his gospel, Luke, it starts with the birth of Jesus, and it ends with his ascension to heaven. But then he starts the book of Acts. And he says this, he says, I'm continuing my story of Jesus and how he went up to heaven but left the Holy Spirit with his apostles after staying with them 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So this is a continuation of the gospel, saying that even though Jesus has ascended to heaven, that the work of Jesus, what he is doing, still continues to this day. It continues through the Holy Spirit with the apostles as they continue to shed light and spread the story of the kingdom of God. So we know this book is the name Acts. Maybe in your Bible it says Acts of the Apostles. If you kind of looked at the title, it might say that. The funny thing is, is that it's really the story of one apostle. If you think of the apostles as those 12 who followed Jesus, it's really the story of one person, Peter. He's the one apostle, so it almost it's kind of Acts of the Apostle Peter. He plays a very prominent role in those first 12 chapters. Certainly the other disciples, the other apostles kind of have a, a moment here and there. But those first 12 chapters are really about Peter and then about others who weren't apostles. They're deacons, Stephen and Philip. That starts the first 12 chapters. But then it changes to another person who we know as Saul or as Paul. And he takes the kind of spotlight. Him and his friends take the spotlight through the rest of the book. So in some ways, we can chart it out as uh, according to Acts 1.8. It's the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, the surrounding area, to the ends of the world. But we can also chart it out as a story of Peter and some of his friends in those first 12 chapters. And then the story of Paul and his friends in the rest of the book. But what would happen, imagine if we didn't have the book of Acts in our Bibles. Let's say it wasn't there, that wasn't written. It'd be so confusing to know what is the role of the church. What are we about? What are we supposed to be about? Where do we share this love and how do we share the love of Jesus with other people? If we didn't have the book of Acts, it would end with Luke 
right? The end of Luke, his gospel, that would say that Jesus went up to heaven, the apostles went with joy, they went back into Jerusalem, and they worshiped in the temple. So you'd have this emphasis back in Jerusalem, in the temple. And then you would flip to Romans and all these other books that are written to these cities, these random cities around the area, talking about some theology and how we are to live. But we would miss this whole window of what is our purpose? What are we supposed to be about? And how do we do it? Do we go like with the Crusades in the 11th century and go back to Jerusalem because that's where Jesus was? That's where the apostles were? That's where the church has got to be established? We might think that. Or do we think that evangelism is just writing letters to people around the world, kind of pen, uh, pen pals, where we just send the gospel out that way and just say, be loving and being kind. The book of Acts really tells us our purpose and how we are to do what God has called us to do. So we need this book. We're going to take some time to look at it and see what, what we learn. We learn the purpose of the church is to take the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, to take it everywhere. We learn that we don't do that alone. We don't do that on our own power, but we do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're taught that we are to establish churches in all these different cultures to worship God, to love Him, to proclaim Him, to make an impact in our world. So that's what we have to look forward to as we study this book. How do we play a part of what God is doing? How do we work with the Holy Spirit to make kingdom impact in our world today? Okay? Well, let me give you some spiritual uh, kind of landscape of the day. We'll talk about what it was like right then when, when, when this book was written. And we're going to then look at a little bit of some of the themes that we see and how, what are the things that we need to pay attention to as we read this book. So first, what's the spiritual landscape? When Luke closed his gospel, he closed it with a story of Jesus ascending to heaven. And then when he opens this book of Acts, it's a story, he repeats a story. It's a story of, of Jesus going to heaven. And I was wondering, why does he do that? Why does he kind of have the same story when he's just writing two books? But when you read the end of Luke, Luke 24, like 44 to 53, you see this picture of Jesus that he is with them and he's teaching them all about the law of Moses and the, the prophets and the Psalms and how they reflect and how they point to Jesus. He says he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He talked about the forgiveness and repentance of sins that they would be preached to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. He says, you are my witnesses of these things. Then he says in verse 49, I'm going to send to you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then he led them to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. They worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually in the temple, praising God. So you have this picture of Jesus continuing to impart his wisdom, continuing to teach them the scriptures, saying, here's how you see me in the scriptures. Then he says, you're going to be my witnesses, but I need you to wait. Remember that? He says, wait for the, the promise that my father will give to you. 
It's, this, it's a strong hint that this story is not done. That when Jesus died and we ascended to heaven, that this is just the beginning of a new story. It's, we have to pivot on how we see the scriptures unfolding. That it's not going to be directly with Jesus now because he's ascending to heaven. But we pivot to see that this story is about this promise that God has, has said, I'm going to give you. So his gospel ends with this hint of this promise that's going to come, that's going to give power and going to help them be witnesses. So then when he starts Acts, he starts it in a similar way. Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to his disciples for 40 days. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And it says this in verse 4, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. There it is again, right? Wait for this gift that my Father has promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There it is. There's the gift. That's where the story pivots, on the Holy Spirit. Well, then they were gathered around him. They asked, Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to God? They had heard him talk about the kingdom. They knew that he was the king. They had read the scriptures. They saw this, this kingdom language. They said, well, is now the time? Now with the Holy Spirit coming? He says, it's not for you to know that. Here's what you have to be, pay attention to. You will be my witnesses. And you will go out of Jerusalem. You will go into Judea, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then he was taken up from their very eyes with a cloud that hid them from their sight. So Jesus was with them for these 40 days. He'd been talking to them. He'd been preparing them. And he says, here's what I need you to do. You want to get busy. You want to establish the kingdom of God. But what I need you to do is go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the Spirit. We don't have a lot of details about what had happened during these 40 days. We know that Peter was restored. We know that, uh, that Thomas and his doubts were kind of figured out and taken care of. But he was with them. He was reminding them. He was encouraging them to continue to, to go on this mission, to keep looking for this promise of the Holy Spirit and even at the very end, they still were kind of confused on, on what this was going to look like. You know, he, Jesus just said, you're going to have the, the Spirit. And they said, yeah, but what about the kingdom of God? Aren't you coming now to like as a king? Aren't you going to be the one that's going to restore Solomon and David's kingdom? Aren't you going to be the one to remove Rome out of Israel so that you could be established and bless all the nations? If I were their instructor in seminary, I'd probably give them an F. I'd be like, you guys, I've been with you for three years. We've talked about this. All right, go back. Do those classes again. Take another year. Jesus doesn't give them a final exam. He doesn't correct them. They still have their questions, and he doesn't really answer their question, right? He says, you don't need to know about that. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to know what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to something great. You're going to take the gospel story around the world, but you're not going to do it alone. You're doing it with the Spirit. 
Not on your own authority, not on your own power, but with him. You know, it's kind of comforting to me that the disciples didn't have it all figured out. That they still had their questions. And it's interesting to me that, too, that Jesus doesn't just sit down and correct them and teach them all the right things. He lets them have these questions. And I know for me in my life, I've got questions, and I'm sure you do, too. Sometimes these questions get answered. Sometimes we can figure them out through the help of the Scriptures, with other people. But sometimes there's no good answers. Our, uh, the church, we've been reading um, through the Bible over the last two years. We're continuing, and we're in the book of Job right now, and we just finished it. But this reminds me, in Job, he's at, Job is asking all these questions, these like legit questions. He is suffering greatly, and he's asking these questions about God, about justice. He's saying, I have been a righteous person. Why am I suffering? And at the end, God answers him, but he doesn't really answer his questions. He just says, if you think you know so much, do you want to do this? Do you want to rule this place? (laughs) He says, it's not always black and white. It's not always one plus one equals two. There's a lot of nuances in here. But don't worry, I've got it. I'm taking care of it. And that's where Job just says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll shut my mouth. I don't need to ask any more questions. I trust you. I trust you. I'll follow you. And I know and sometimes in life we have our questions too. And sometimes we get the answer, sometimes we don't. But will we follow? The disciples, they had their questions and they didn't get it all figured out. But they said, we are going to continue. We will follow. We will wait. And so we see this, even the, the spiritual kind of condition, the spiritual landscape of the disciples is questions. Is, they have their questions. They're not figured out. But Jesus tells them, he says, before you go get busy, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait. And that's something we don't like doing. We don't do that very well, especially in our culture. We like action. We want to move. But the church starts with waiting, waiting for the Spirit, not getting ahead of it, not going without it, but saying we are going to walk in step with the Spirit. We will wait for you. So that's a little bit of the the beginning. But the question, too, is like how, like I said earlier, how do we relate to God now that Jesus is ascended to heaven? What is this going to look like? Do we follow the Jewish culture that we grew up in for the disciples? Right? Do we keep uh, going back to the temple or the synagogue? Do we keep doing those holidays and those festivals? Or is there something new? And like I said, the Gentiles, they grew up in pagan cultures. They knew worship. Would they bring that worship into the worship with God? Or was there something new? And what we learn here in the book of Acts, it's completely new. That we don't bring these things into, the, into our relationship with God, but God brings these things and uh, his, his spirit into all these questions. Uh, how we handle money, how we handle relationships, how we worship him. In short, we are learning how to worship God in spirit and in truth. Not in culture, not in tradition, but in spirit and in truth. We're going to see there's a lot of freedom as we see the book of Acts unfolding. A lot of freedom. In in the Old Testament, there was so much prescription on how to, to worship God. How to worship, where to worship, when to worship, what clothes you would wear to worship, what the structure looks like. Right, The whole Old Testament is defining what food to eat, when to eat, when not to eat, all those things. But when you get to see the church, 
grow. You don't see those things anymore. It doesn't tell us exactly what worship songs to sing and what instruments to play and, and all of those things, where to meet, where not to meet. We're given the freedom as we walk with the Spirit as He leads us to taking the message to this world. Okay, so that's kind of the spiritual landscape. Now, let's talk about the outline of Acts. Let me share with you just a a little bit of how, when you're reading Acts, some of the things to look for. And this might sound familiar. I hope it sounds familiar to you, all right? As the story kind of begins, there's 11 disciples. Remember why there's not 12? One of them betrayed Jesus, all right? Judas, he hung himself, he died, and now there are 11 disciples. And as the story begins, they're waiting, they they. They need some, one more person, right? They add a disciple, but that's not the person they're really looking for. What they really need before anything happens is the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit will come to them. And that's where the church is born. But what I'm hoping that you see is that you know the story of the Gospels. And I want you to see how the, the story of Acts just lays, overlays the Gospels just so perfectly. That if you get the story of the Gospels, you will get the story of Acts. There's, I counted about nine things that happen in the Gospels that happen in Acts too. One, how do the Gospels start? It starts with birth, the birth of Jesus, right? Then we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As we continue reading the Gospels, we see that the sermons of Jesus. He's teaching, right? The Sermon on the Mount and all of his other teachings. We see him gather his disciples, his 12 disciples, and then the larger crowd, these followers of Jesus. We see miracles. People are healed. Demons are cast out. People are brought back to life from, from death. We see conflict with the Jewish leaders. We see unexpected people become followers of Jesus, some of the Pharisees. Then we see Jesus' trial and it ends with Jesus' death and his resurrection. So that's how we see the Gospels, right? You tracking with me? You seeing that? When we look at the book of Acts, we see that same pattern unfold, right? What's it begin with? The birth of the church. The church is born. I, I would probably argue that it starts with the resurrection, right? But there's, then it really begins when at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes on them. But instead of waiting nine months, it's like about a 50-day wait, but the, the church is being born here. Then what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Just as in the baptism, the Holy Spirit came on Jesus, so here on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on the church. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other languages as the Spirit has enabled them. What's next? Just as Jesus taught the scriptures, just as he gave his sermons on how to live. So we see sermons here in, the, in, in Acts. Peter gets up and continues to speak and say, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on the people. The sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dreams. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see him boldly proclaiming the scriptures. What's next? Just as Jesus gathered his disciples, gathered the 12, you see in Acts, you see a gathering coming. Not just 12, but thousands of people. The whole church is coming together and gathering. When Peter preached his message, those who accepted his message were baptized. 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
They devoted themselves to the, te- the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking of bread in the prayer. You, you see this group coming together that would grow and grow. Jesus did miracles, but so did the apostles. Peter healed the the lame man. Uh, Tabitha, she had died, and Peter raised her to life. A little boy named Eutychus uh, fell out of the window when Paul was preaching. He died, but he was brought back to life. So we see a lot of these same miracles that Jesus was doing, we see the apostles doing as well, even to bringing people back from the dead. But then we see conflict. Jesus had conflict with the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. But we see the same kind of conflict happening with Peter getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders, but Paul getting in in trouble with Roman leaders as well. All kinds of conflict. They were threatened, they were jailed, they were beaten, they were killed for their faith. With Jesus, we saw some unexpected people come to know him to follow him. Nicodemus came to him at night. Joseph of Arimathea, they were both Pharisees, unlikely people, but they both came to Christ. In the book of Acts, we see another unlikely person, another Pharisee named Saul, come to follow Jesus, to give him his life, to turn his whole life around and be committed to taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And then we saw Jesus on trial at the end of his life. We see him on trial uh, with Pilate and with the Sanhedrin. In the same way, you see both Peter and, and Paul and Stephen as well under trial. The interesting thing, though, is with, when Jesus was with Pilate, he kept his mouth shut, right? He was like a lamb led to the slaughter but didn't open his mouth. But Paul, he's mouthy, you know? He was really mouthy in this, and he even got hit in the face, and he called the high priest a whitewashed tomb, right? You're like full of death, like totally different styles in this. But they were both under trial. But then here's how it ends, and this is where there's a twist. In the Gospels, Jesus dies. But Acts doesn't end that way. It doesn't, you would think, you would think now that it would follow uh, Paul's life to the very end, and it would say, and he died, and it, you know, whatever, you know, he led a good life. But it doesn't end that way. Here's the last two verses of Acts. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, that's in Rome, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's how it ends. I've always thought that you know, Luke should have ended this with Paul's death. I would have liked to have known what happened and all that, but he doesn't. And I think that's intentional because this didn't end. The gospel is still going forth. It's still going forth with boldness and without hindrance. And we become part of that story. We are the church, and we continue doing that. Until the Lord returns, that is our mission, to continue to proclaim the kingdom of God, to teach people about Jesus Christ. What started there with the apostles continues today. We stand in that same line, with that same mission, with that same calling, with the same Spirit empowering us. So I hope that helps as you're kind of looking at this whole book of Acts 
and how it outlines, outlines. It's just the same as the gospel, that same story from birth to calling. Some things to learn, some things to keep. Here's, I don't know, six or seven things that I want us to keep in mind as we continue to read this book and study it. First, you see this, that the church is prayerfully spirit-empowered. There's a lot of words there. The church is prayerfully spirit-empowered. We see this pattern throughout the, the story of waiting, praying, and then the Holy Spirit comes and moves. Waiting, praying, and then the Spirit moves. This is a couple of verses. I didn't put up the reference, or I didn't put up the verses. There's references, but please take a look at them. Write them down and follow along. In Acts 1.8, it says, Jesus gave them the command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father, my father has promised, and you, which you have heard me speak about. And then as, as that story follows, a couple of verses later, it says they were continually devoted to prayer. Right? They were waiting and they were praying. And then the Spirit came. In Acts 4, 23, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. In Acts 13, and while they're in Antioch, it says, they were, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Spirit came and said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I've called them. After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands and sent them off on their first missionary journey. When the church is on the move, it's moving with the Spirit, not apart from the Spirit. And I think this is one of those things that we in the American church have, we need to learn this. Because I don't think we do this very well. We don't like to wait. We don't like to, to wait for the Holy Spirit. We want to do things on our own. When the church is not working, what do we do? We look to culture. What does culture do? When business isn't working, what do they do? We innovate. It's time for creativity. We do marketing. I think the church has done that too much. There's too much innovation. What's worse is that one, one church, maybe they, maybe they do sit and they wait and they, they come up with a good plan and they do some things and, and the gospel is proclaimed. But then what happens is other churches say, well, they did that. Let's do that. Let's take their innovation and let's, let's do it in our, own, in our own church, but without waiting, without the Spirit, and it fails. Guys, the answer, when the church is not working, it's not innovation that's going to solve it. It's not our creativity. When the church isn't working, we need to stop working. We need to wait. Wait for the Spirit. We need to pray. And when the Spirit comes, then we move. And then we go. The church, we've got to be prayerfully Spirit-empowered. Okay, that's something, that's an area of growth for all of us. But that's one thing we learn in the book of Acts. Here's another. The church fights for unity. And church fights for unity. What I love in this story is that it's not just these perfect relationships. There's passion. And sometimes the passion uh, it, it adds some conflict. Between Peter and Paul, the two, the two main people in this book, there's some passion and there's some disagreements. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, these two missionaries, some, some disagreements. But they work through these disagreements because it's about the kingdom of God. It's not about them. It's not about their own thing. It's being unified for the sake of the gospel. And I think that's important too in the church. We have our disagreements. We have our passions. 
Someone really likes local outreach. Someone likes missions. Someone likes the, the Bible study. Someone likes the worship ser- series. And we, we all kind of uh, navigate to put these things ahead of one another. But it's about unity in the Spirit, working together. You see kind of a messy church that's, that's starting to organize they're learning how, to, uh, how, how they sense God's will, how they organize themselves. Remember the story of the, the widows who weren't getting their food and they were complaining. And from that, their deacons' ministry developed. We see the church organizing. We see elders coming into the picture, learning how to follow the Lord and to lead the church. But all of this is in unity for the sake of the gospel. What else? We see the church uses spiritual gifts to proclaim the kingdom of God. I love this. We see all the people in the church coming together, using their gifts, worshiping, eating together, praying together, loving each other, caring for each other. We see the church in Jerusalem selling a lot of their land and a lot of their possessions to care for one another. But you also see, like I already just mentioned, the, the deacon ministry develop. This is one of those areas where they were, the, the apostles were, were trying to take the gospel everywhere, but they were trying to also care for the, the ladies in their churches who needed the food, and they were, they were just going crazy. And so they, they called on the Lord, and the Spirit gave them these, these disciples. But what's interesting is these disciples grow in their calling. There's two of them in particular, Stephen and Philip, that they are, they're called to serve and to, uh, to take care of the needs of the congregation. But we quickly see them moving in their gifting, in their calling. They become evangelists. Stephen is the first person to die for his faith, not because he was serving food, but because he was proclaiming the gospel. And then Philip, he was serving food, but he's called to be an evangelist, and he takes the gospel to Samaria. He's the one that baptizes that uh, Ethiopian eunuch. He moves to Caesarea where he's an evangelist there. So you see the gifts that God has, he puts in the church and sometimes they stay the same and sometimes they change. See the fluid uh, working of the spirit and, and his gifting to the churches. And so today, this is an opportunity as well. We're going to have our, our, our fair here. There's an opportunity for you to serve, to use your gifts and maybe you know what they are, and you know exactly what that calling is, or maybe you don't, but just take, a, take an opportunity. Take a chance. Try something new. Step out in faith and see, where can I serve where the Lord is calling me? Another one, the church learns how to worship God in the new covenant. Right? They're, they're coming to, to, to understand how they, what is just part of their culture and what is part of their worship. How do you worship God from my background? And we, we probably relate more to the Gentiles. We live in our culture. We live in this world. And we, we're, we're just inundated with all the thoughts and all the, all the thinking from this world. But we've got to take that stuff and we've got to put it before the Lord and say, how do, you, how do I think and how do I live as a follower of you? Not just as part of my culture, not part of my tradition, but how do I follow you? And how do I hold on and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit teaching me how to use my money? How do do I be sexually pure before you and honor you? What do I do with the power 
that is around us? How do I use that to, to serve you and not hurt other people? All these things the church is learning, and those are things that we have to learn too. We have to grow in those areas. A couple more. Uh, the church is for all people right? It's for all people, not just the Jews. We see that it goes to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles, and it grows geographically, but with that, it grows ethnically. There's all kinds of diversity that comes in, all sorts of ethnic diversity, but we also see just the other parts of our culture. We see the rich and the poor coming to know Jesus. We see a sorcerer coming to know Jesus. We come, uh, there's, there's army generals, there's men and women, people of all kinds of backgrounds that are coming and filling in and becoming part of this church as we grow together and how, how we learn to put away those things and follow Jesus as he's leading us. So there's this beautiful diversity in the church. The church we see in Acts is learning evangelism. It's learning how to share the gospel. In and this is new for them because back in their culture, like in the Jewish culture, it was everybody comes to them. They come to Israel and then they would share. They would be a light to the, to the nations. But the nations would come to Israel and then they would introduce them to God. But here, we don't see the people coming to the church. We see the church going out, going out into these other communities, going out into the world to share the message of Jesus. What did they share? It's simple, actually. The beginning of the book, in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Jesus was with them, with his disciples, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And then we see that throughout here. Look at Acts 8, 12. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus... They were baptized. So Philip, what did he do? He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, and then they believed. They were baptized. In Acts 19.8, Paul entered the synagogue. He spoke boldly there for three months. For three months, what did he say? He argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. In Acts 28.23, he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining the kingdom of God and how the law of Moses and the prophets taught and tried to persuade them about Jesus. And in 28.31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught them all about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without an hindrance. We see in here the story in Acts. We see them giving their testimony, their story. They seem teaching about the kingdom of God and, and introducing them to Jesus. That's their evangelism. They didn't wait for people to come to them. They went to others and proclaimed what they knew to be true. The story of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. That's their evangelism. We tend to get it all so complicated and it's so confusing. And what verses do I need and all that? But we see here, so simply, they're sharing the story of the kingdom of God. Introducing people to Jesus. Telling their stories. The last one here. This is important to you. The church will be persecuted, but it will flourish. All right? When you see the church being persecuted, when you see the church suffering... That's not the end. It doesn't mean that things are broke. It means things are beginning to move. When you see the first persecution coming in Jerusalem, that's when the church spreads out. That's their first motivation to get outside of Jerusalem and take the gospel other places. So persecution is not the end. It's just it's part of the story. But what I want you to remember is what Jesus said about the church. He said to Peter, on you, on, this, on you, I'm going to build this church. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when you see persecution coming, it's, that's not the kingdom of, of hell prevailing against it. It's God's motivation. He's moving his people. But I want you to see this, this flourishing word. Throughout the, this story, throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see these words about flourishing. The, the word of God flourished. The, the church was multiplying. It's all language that comes back from, from Genesis 1. Remember when he, Adam and Eve, he gave them that commission? What did he say? Go out, be fruitful, and multiply. Right? Establish God's reign on the earth. And this, that same language is coming back in Acts. Again, here's just a few verses. You have the references. You can look them up. But after they commissioned the deacons to serve, it says in Acts 6, 7, So the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Right? And a large number of priests came obedient to faith. That increased rapidly. They multiplied. In Acts 9.31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. What was happening? Persecution. Peter was just put in jail. His life was going to be taken. James had just been killed. But during that time, the church grew. It increased in numbers. It flourished. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. Acts 16, 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. They grew daily in numbers. And then lastly, Acts 9, 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Yes, sometimes when we look at the church and we see the persecution and we see some of the negative things, we think, oh, it's not working. What are we going to do? we got to innovate and all that. But what we see here in Acts is at those times, we come back and we pray and we wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit works, that's when things flourish. That's when the church grows. That's when it multiplies. That's when we see the power growing Hey, I want it, and I, I think you all do too. We want to see this church really grow. We want to see it make a great impact. How are we going to do that? On all the, the great ideas that I have or that the elders have or that you have? Probably not. But I think how it's going to happen is when we get on our knees and we stop and we pray and we say, Lord, where are you leading? And when you arrive, let us not you know, let us see you and let us follow along and let us walk with you. The Spirit is working. Just as He did back then, He is working right now. But we have to sit, we have to look for it and wait for it. And sometimes we're so busy, we don't hear Him, we don't see Him. But in Ambassador Church, we've got to be people that wait on the Lord and see Him.